wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I do want to say welcome to summer. Uh, summer has uh, arrived. We're very excited about summer, and it looks like all week long we're going to have it. So just make a note on your calendar. Summer is this week. Just keep that in mind. Um, hey, I want you to, if you want to, grab your notes out of your handout. And you'll see we're wrapping up our series on Philippians. And if you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to open those up as well. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4 today. I have to tell you, it's been one of my favorite series that we have gone through in the, you know, sort of recent mind. uh, Just because it's been so fun to see all of the ways that Paul is highlighting God's truth and God's heart for us. And it is such an incredibly joyful book. There's so many rich rich realities that we get to to wrestle through and and challenges we get to receive through this book of Philippians. I know many hundreds of you have been reading through the book of Philippians as we've gone through this series, and I want to thank you for that. It's never too late to jump in and and just kind of go through because what we know is that when we have humble hearts and we read God's word, then God's spirit speaks directly to us about God's heart revealed through his word. And so we're really kind of uh, just embracing this whole thing as a church and What we know is this, that the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome when he was writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And what we know is when he actually was launching the church in Philippi, Paul was in jail then as well. There was this interesting kind of dynamic. Paul spent a lot of time in jail. And what's interesting is that he's in jail. He's writing to a church. It was started when he was in jail and all of this stuff going on. And yet, Paul is so joyful. And, and there's a note of joy and triumph that runs through Philippians like maybe no other book in, in all the scripture. And, and, and so there's so much to celebrate here. And that's what's been so exciting as we've gone through it together. So what we want to do is jump right in. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And Paul comes back to a theme that he's been hitting in every single chapter. No matter what's going on, he says, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what trials you're facing, what burdens you're carrying, he says, rejoice. Okay, this is what he says in Philippians 4, 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. So that first challenge, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. Always be joyful. You might want to circle the word always. Because that's the challenge. The, the challenge is not be joyful. We all, as, as humans, we all have experiences of being joyful. But Paul says this is to be a posture, an attitude that we embrace always, all the time. We're always to be rejoicing, to be people of joy. And, and that's challenge. And so we, we keep coming back to this. How do we do that? Really, friends, there are two easy steps to always being joyful. And we've talked about it. First you rejoice, then you rejoice, okay? That's, that's it. That's gold, by the way. I hope you know. But the challenge is that, that we have to have an attitude. We have to have a, 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 something that we think about that allows us to be joyful always. And that's that last line that he says, remember the Lord is coming soon. Remember that Jesus is coming back. 
Remember that this journey we're on is a short journey that's preparing us for an eternal journey. Remember the, the light and momentary trials that we face now are preparing for us an eternal glory where we'll rejoice with the Lord forever and ever. Amen. That you have to remember the goodness of God and his presence is pervasive in our lives today, no matter what's going on. And all of these things we can think about, we can keep them in mind, we can remember them. And that will allow us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, he says, rejoice. So he's going to continue to come back to this. If you read through the book of Philippians now, you'll see it again and again and again. It'll pop out at you his encouragement for us to be joyful no matter what's going on. Then he says in verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. You know, I saw this quote on one of those daily calendars, and this might be familiar to you. It said, why pray when you can worry? And it was meant to be funny, right? It was meant to be ironic, but this happens to be the game plan that so many of us operate out of. That so many of us, worry is the default over prayer. And we feel anxious about everything. We feel anxious about the weather, about our finances, about the education our kids are getting, or the role we're doing as parents, or how our careers are unfolding, or the travel required for vacation, or the latest bad news on the headlines. And, and so we worry as a, as a state of default. That's how we approach the world. But there is an antidote to this worry. There's an antidote to this trial. Again, this is right on the heels of being joyful always, and the antidote is prayer. So we got to turn that quote around. It's not why pray when you can worry, but it's why worry when you can pray. And this is the antidote to our worried and harried state of mind. Worry, by the way, is based on the belief that it's all up to me. Rather, prayer begins with the foundation that God is wholly adequate, that he is worthy of my trust. And if you're filling in the blanks, that fill-in is that prayer diffuses my worry. Prayer is what takes my worry and, and just lets the air out of it. And we have to realize why worry is so harmful to us. It's a state of unbelief in both you and in the Lord. Worry is a constant state of distress which increases the stress that you carry. And there's a whole host of physical reasons why this is not advisable for you. And lastly, worry is an assault against your potential. There's a, a fascinating study done, and I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's, it's so relevant here. And the study was done to measure the behavioral impact that our thoughts have on our lives. And it was done with elementary school children, and one by one, they were brought into a room. The instructor was there. It was a very antiseptic room. The only thing in the room was a table, and on that table was an empty box with a lid. And the instructor would show each child that the box was empty and, and then talk to the child about how our imaginations work. And they would clarify. They would say, now, listen, you know if you think about something in your mind, you don't automatically make it appear. 
It's, it's not magic. If you picture something, it's not like it can appear in reality. And all the children would agree, yeah, yeah, I know that. And then the instructor would say, okay, here's what I want you to do. And he put the lid on the box. He said, I want you to imagine that this box is filled with cookies. And then he would ask some follow-up questions of each child. What kind of cookies are they? Are they chocolate chip? Are they frosted? How good do those cookies taste? How many cookies are in the box right now? And just exercises to help the child really have a mental picture of, of, of this imagination process. And then the instructor would say, oh, i got to step out of the room for a moment. And he would leave the child alone in the room with a box with the lid on it. Now, there were a whole group of other children that were brought in as well. And these children had to go through the same exercise. However, instead of cookies in the box, they were asked to imagine the box was filled with snakes. What kind of snakes are they? Are they poisonous snakes? What do they look like? Are they kind of writhing around in a ball like what's going on in that box and then again oh look I have to step out for a moment leaving the child alone with a box with the lid on it now here's the interesting thing every single child who was asked to imagine that the box was filled with snakes moved as far away from the box as was humanly possible they didn't want to be anywhere near it, right? Even though they knew that imagining that could not create the reality, they still moved away. Conversely, every child who imagined the box was filled with cookies walked over to the box and opened the lid just to see if the cookies had magically appeared. Now, what did they find when they opened the lid? Snakes and, and Zika and, you know, Brexit and all the things that we're afraid of today. No, nothing, right? There was nothing in the box, just like there's nothing in so much of what it is that we worry about. And here's the point that I'm trying to make, that you have to recognize that our worries, our anxieties, and our fears, even if we know they're imagined, they impact the way that we behave. And so our hope propels us forward, but our fear causes us to withdraw. You see, hope will, will cause us to rise. It, it'll thrust us forward into a new day, but worry will cause us to sink and to, to wither. And I want you to see that, that we have an opportunity to step into a more full and a more abundant way of living, and it has to do with what we choose to think about. We want to be people of hope. We want to be people of joy. This is the life that we want to live. And so we step into that new day. And then Paul says, if you, if you read, he says, tell God about everything. We need to talk to God about everything that's going on in our lives. And as we talk to God, that is an incredibly worry-reducing activity. It alleviates our worry to talk to God. And then he says, talk to God about what you need. This is for our benefit. So we need to be able to voice to the Lord what it is that we're wrestling with, what it is that we need. This helps us clarify. This helps us prioritize. This helps us understand our hearts. It helps us place our trust squarely in the Lord. Friends, you see that, that our God is a good, good father. And he meets us in our need. He carries us with his presence. And we can trust in him. Jesus teaches us about his father's heart. I put that verse in your outline from Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 and following. 
Jesus is speaking. He says, you parents, he's talking to the, the parents in the crowd. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Maybe on the April Fool's Day, but not as, as, as a matter of course. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? There it is, another snake in this message. That's crazy. Must, must be a theme. Paul was bitten by a snake. Maybe that'll come up too. Of course not, he says. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? He's saying, look, parents, you're, you're fallen parents and you're imperfect parents and, and you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly father, how much more able is he to give good gifts to you at just the right time, just what you need, exactly what the true desire of your heart is? He knows that better than you know yourself. And this is why we constantly want to go to prayer as followers of Jesus and why on, on the, the connection card that we fill out every week, we ask you to write down your prayer request because we're going to join you in praying for your needs, lifting those up to our good, good Father. This is why every day at the, at the end of our services, we invite you to go to our prayer room and to meet with men and women, warriors of prayer, who want to join you and agree with you in lifting your needs before the Lord. Because we have a good, good Father who knows what you need, who wants to meet you in that need. And then, Paul says, we need to pray. We need to ask God for what we need, and we need to pray with thanksgiving, right? We need to give God thanks for all of the ways that he has cared for us and met our needs in the past, all the great things that he's done, the blessings he's poured out. We need to be people who are grateful. And, and I want to kind of take it one step further. It, the actual translation says pray with thanksgiving. So here's what I want you to know, and I've been practicing this just a little bit. Every time I do, I'm amazed at how powerful it is at alleviating worry and anxiety. So let me tell you, it's so powerful, it feels a little bit like a magic trick. It's not a magic trick, but it, but it feels a little bit like a magic trick. So let me just tell you, instead of just thanking God for what he's done in the past, and the blessings he's poured out in the past, and instead of allowing your gratitude to only be backward-looking, the trick is you also begin to thank God in a forward-looking way. You begin to thank God for the answer to your prayer that's already in motion behind the scenes. You begin to thank God that in his wisdom, he already knows this need, and he is already moving things into place behind the scenes. You can't see it, but you trust him, and you're thanking him for the answer that's on the way. Does this make sense? And, and, and when you begin to thank God for, for the answer, for the solution, for the breakthrough that's, that he's already placed in motion, it will do an incredible amount to alleviate the worry that you feel and the anxiety that you have in regards to the needs that you have. I, I'll give you just a quick story. I was talking to my buddy Lee, and he was telling me a story about his son, Layton. Layton's in elementary school, and, and for Christmas one year, all Layton wanted was a bearded dragon. And, and Layton could not stop talking about a bearded dragon. 
Right? He, he would just mention it, you know, casually at the dinner table. He's probably a little bit like Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Everything was just about a bearded dragon. He would have pictures of bearded dragon. Uh, he would take his parents to the pet store all the time. They'd always be finding bearded dragons. It just would come up all the time. You know, going to bed at night, he would just say casually, Hey, Dad, you, you know I want a bearded dragon, right? You know, and oh, yeah, you know, I got that. I heard you. Now, here's the kicker. Lee had already purchased a bearded dragon. And it was in the garage under a heat lamp in a corner that, that the kids never went to. And so every time Leighton was asking for a bearded dragon, Lee, as the dad's thinking, I've already got one for you, bud. But he can't say it because it's not Christmas time yet. Does that make sense? As a dad, he knew the exact right time that he was going to pull that bearded dragon out and, and present it as a gift to his son, but the son didn't have any understanding that that has already been happening behind the scenes. In, in the same way, when you present your, give, your request rather to God, when you say, Lord, these are the needs that I have, these are the, 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 the burdens on my heart, I'm asking you to help bring solution here, re reconciliation here, would you move here? Meanwhile, God's already at work behind the scenes and you can't see it and and you might know that it's already happening and you might be tempted just to ask again and again and again and I understand that Jesus understands that but far better to begin to thank him proactively for the answer that he is already working on even though you can't see it right now incredibly powerful way to diffuse the worry and the anxiety that we feel and then he goes on Paul does in verse 7 he says, then, then, in other words, the, the way in which you approach worry, the way in which you approach joy, the way in which you approach prayer, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. You might want to underline that word. Exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The peace that exceeds anything. In some of your translations, it's the peace that passes understanding. The peace we've talked about that makes no sense. Peace that's greater than my fear. Peace that's above my trial. Peace that's more powerful than my unrest. And it doesn't make sense. And Paul's saying that. It doesn't make sense. It's, it, it just exceeds all manner of reason. And he's saying, if, if you can live in this peace that comes from God, you're going to be a witness to the other people around you, because they're not going to know what to do with you. Look at that guy, John. His whole life's blowing up around him. All these circumstances are down. He, he, he's got so many trials. He's, he's faced with so much difficulty in his life, and yet you've never seen a more peaceful guy. That doesn't make any sense. I think he's crazy. I think he's on Xanax or something. No, he's not on Xanax, somebody says. He's just a Jesus follower. And none of them make any sense, right? They're filled with this peace because they trust in their heavenly father. Because they have such incredible trust that God isn't, he's holding the whole universe in his hand. So certainly he's taking care of me and the need that I have. And that peace that passes understanding, it becomes a witness for our faith in the Lord. And then he says, God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we're told that we're to guard our hearts, that we're to make it a priority to guard our hearts. This is in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We read, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. 
So we're to protect our hearts and care for our hearts, and here's how. We let God's peace be the guard. God's peace that we have by lifting our needs and thanking him for the answer that he is bringing and the answers that he's already brought. And I will tell you this, that there are many times I have noticed that when we pray, we pray for answers that God has already provided to us. So often we, we sometimes pray for things that we think we need God to give us an answer, but God has already provided an answer for us. And that, by the way, is why all of the ministries that we build at Overlake Christian Church are practical life application ministries. Because sometimes the, the, the thing that we need to hear is simply take the next step. And so, for example, our Financial Peace University classes, that, that we mean. sometimes we're, we're praying that God would help us with our stewardship, we're praying that God would help us with provision, when really he's already provided the answer, we just have to take the next step. Celebrate recovery, same thing. Sometimes we're praying, God, we need your healing in this regard, we need your, your, your purity in this regard, your sobriety in this regard, and God's saying, look, take the next step, get some help. Get some people around you that are going to be encouragement to you and support to you and lift you up and, and not only encourage you just relationally and friendship, but they're going to pray on your behalf and they're going to carry uh, this burden with you. And, and sometimes we already know the next step. We just need to take that step. By the way, if I could go back to this sense of worry. So often worry is just what happens vaguely in our minds. But by taking an action step, by actually doing something, you'll see worry just disappear. It's that, it's that powerful reality. And so Paul's talking about guarding your heart by letting the peace of God be your guard here. And then in verse 8, and this is one of those verses many of you have already heard, many of you have already processed this verse. It's an amazing, amazing challenge Paul brings in verse 8. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Don't get excited. It's not really the final thing. Fix your thoughts, he says, on what is true and honorable, you might want to circle all these words as they describe what it is that we're to fix our thoughts on. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So Paul gives us a list here, and they're all very similar in terms of what they are. They're all beautiful things, good things. I'd call all these the fingerprints of God that are all around us all the time. And Paul says we are to fix our thoughts, to focus on these things. If you're filling in the blanks, the next one is focus right-sizes my worldview. It right-sizes, the right focus, focus on the right things, will right-size my worldview. Here's what I mean. All around you all the time are good things. Surrounding you right now, regardless of how dire you might think your circumstances are, right now, I'm going to challenge you that around you are things that are true and admirable and good and excellent and praiseworthy. I'm going to challenge you to recognize that all around us all the time are these fingerprints of God. These good things surround us all the time. And so do the bad things and the difficult things and the hard things and the trying things. The problem is the way that we're wired today is so much easier to focus on the bad things. 
It's so much easier for us to just lock into, because we're addicted to the 24-hour news cycle. All we do is read the headlines. Almost every headline is a horrific kind of a headline. You know, in journalism, the first lesson they teach young journalists, if it bleeds, it leads, right? That's how we want to put the biggest tragedies. We're going to put all the most recent. So we'll scour the earth, finding the bad news from everywhere, and that's what we're going to feed you nonstop. And so that's what we fixate on. That's what we ruminate on. We read the headlines. We think about the bad stuff, and then our emotions follow. And then because our emotions are now tainted by this focus on all of the horror that there there is in the world, then our words follow, and our behavior follows, and it's hopeless, and it's discouraged, and it's down. And and, and that's sort of the, the natural state of things. Paul says, why don't we reverse that? He's saying you get to choose what you think about, what you focus on, what you fix your thoughts on. So think about the great stuff, the good stuff, the true and admirable and honorable, the the, the praiseworthy, the excellent. Like let's make sure we're looking at all that and it right-sizes our worldview, right? And we do know this, friends, that the things that we focus on, they do impact the feelings that we have. I'll just give you a quick practical example. Let's say today after church, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go for a hike. You go up into the hills. You're hiking up uh, some, some beautiful forest trail. And ahead of you in the road, suddenly you see a snake. And you respond exactly how I would respond. You, revulsion and a gag reflex instantly. And the urge to run as fast as you possibly can. Maybe you emit a little squeak. Maybe you wet yourself a tiny bit. But, but there's all sorts of horrific response to what you have just focused on. And then you look again and notice it's not a snake. It's an old weathered climbing rope. Clearly impersonating a snake, but actually not a snake. And immediately, and I'm not talking like moments later, it's not a half hour later, I'm telling you immediately what happens to your emotional response. It changes instantly. Instantly all of that fear and anxiety and revulsion that you felt suddenly has now shifted and maybe you're laughing at yourself, maybe you're a little more peaceful, maybe you you walk gingerly up to the rope and kind of kick it just to make sure it's a rope, but but the, the whole point is your emotions follow your thoughts. This happens all the time. It happens constantly. So what Paul says is you can choose what to fix your thoughts on. So fix your thoughts on the good stuff. Fix your thoughts on the true stuff and the right stuff and the admirable stuff, the excellent stuff. And when you fix your thoughts on these things, guess what? Your emotions follow. And then you're going to have this emotional response. You're going to be confident in the Lord. You're going to be positive in your outlook. Your attitude is going to be good and it's going to be more joyful, right? More solid. You'll feel more stable in terms of how you approach the the things of this life. And because you're going to be more positive, guess what your words are going to be? They're going to be more positive as well. And you're going to see the positive in other people. You're going to draw the potential out of other people. What's going to happen in your friendships if that happens? Guess what? People love to be around positive people. You, you want to bring the best out of me? You want to see the best in a circumstance? People are going to flock to you. Your friendships are going to flourish. Your, your work groups are going to have this dynamism and this vitality that have, have been lacking because everybody's been focused on the negative. Now people are going to start focusing on the positive. What are you going to do? You're going to create a world that what? It's true and admirable. It's excellent. It's praiseworthy. It's the things that you've been focusing on. 
By the way, I just want to say this is very, very clearly. If you decide that you're going to try to start noticing good things, guess what God will allow you to do? Notice good things everywhere. You will see good things in, in situations you never thought you'd find good things. Because God will allow your mind to see these things that you desire to focus on. If you want to write down something that's really, really sort of a, a culminating kind of a truth in all this, you can write this down. My focus determines my feelings, and what I see impacts the world that I shape. And it is a bit like an upward spiral, friends. The more good things you notice, the more your emotions respond. The more your emotions are noticing the positive, the more your words and your attitudes are going to respond. The more that your words, your attitudes respond, the more that you're going to impact other people around you to see the fingerprints of God that are all around us all the time. So can I get an amen? Is somebody tracking with me this morning? Okay, this is a challenge. So, so Paul's talking to the Philippians. He's talking to us today. And then he goes, and, and, and this is, again, there are these powerful passages he talks about. So starting in verse 10 through verse 13, the, the, this is one of those pinnacle. We've seen this, this on, a, on an inspirational poster. He, he starts in verse 10 with this. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Let's just pause there. He's saying, this is normal for Jesus' followers. We're to be concerned about one another. And I'm so thankful that you've been concerned about me, he says. I, th this is normative for, for Christ followers, so thank you for being concerned. But, but the Philippians have not been able to actually help him. They've been concerned, but they've not been able to support him or care for his needs. And Paul says, look, I, I know your heart, and I want you to know, just because you haven't been able to show me concern, it's no problem. Because, he says, I, I've learned to be content right, with whatever's going on. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. Then he goes on. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Wow, what a powerful, powerful passage. Let me tell you one of the most challenging phrases in all of the scripture. You can underline it. It's, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. It, it, it almost sounds sacrilegious to an American follower of Jesus. Content with whatever. No, no, we're, we're perpetually dissatisfied. We're, we're always discontent with what we have. And Paul says, no, no, I want us to be content. He says, I have, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have, whatever I'm facing, whatever the circumstances. I'm, I'm at home in my own skin I'm okay with whatever I'm going through because I trust that Jesus is over this. He is an authority. I know he's with me, present with me, whatever I'm going through. So I have learned to be content. Man, what a picture. What a challenge for us. I mean, he, he spells it out. Look, plenty or little, content. My stomach empty, my stomach full, content. Well, well I have a ton. I don't have anything. My bank account full, my bank account in. He says, content. Man, what a challenge. And then he says, there's a secret to it. It's a secret, but I'm going to tell you right now. He says, the secret is Jesus. 
The secret is Jesus. I, I can do all things, he says, through Jesus who gives me strength. No matter what I'm facing, no matter what the challenge, no matter what a burden I'm carrying, no matter what temptation that I have to overcome, he says, I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. And that's actually the next fill-in here. Trusting Jesus amplifies my contentment and my contribution. So on the one hand, it's, it's, it amplifies my contentment, that I can be content because Jesus is present with me. He's given me his strength. And on the other hand, it amplifies my contribution to his kingdom because Jesus is pouring his strength into me, and now I can fearlessly step into my potential. I can fiercely impact this cause. I can make things better in this regard. There's an amplification of both contentment and contribution because, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do everything. Now, let me tell you that this verse can be taken out of context. And I have witnessed it taken out of context, and maybe you have too. Specifically, I remember that when I was in high school, I had a couple of buddies on the football team that went to the local youth group. And we were weightlifting partners together on the football team. And every, if, if you were in sports in high school, maybe football is not unique in this. But, but the coach would run us through this weightlifting routine. And then about every month or so, we would have to max out. We'd have to see how strong we had been uh, you, you know, developing into the, the, these young athletes. And, and so we want to see what, what the max we could do was. So a couple of my buddies who went to youth group, they, they would... On, a, on the bench press max out day, they would load it up with a ridiculous amount of weight, just like so many more plates than any, there's no human way that they could possibly lift this weight. And then they'd be like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ strength in my body. Christ strength in my bicep. Christ strength in my pecs. Let's go, let's go. Come on. And then they would just die. And the bar would crush their, their chest, and they'd squirm around like a lizard on a pin, and, and everyone would have to rush to them and lift the weight off their chest, put it back on the rack. And that didn't mean this verse isn't true. No, no, it, it, it just meant it was misapplied. See, what, what Paul's actually talking about is whatever you're facing, whatever circumstance you're in. Look, he's in prison. He's saying, I'm in prison, but I can live joyful. I can live triumphant. I can overcome. He's saying, you can too. No matter what you're facing, no matter what the bank account, no matter what the relational reality, no matter what the headline news says, does not matter. All things are possible because of Jesus' strength coursing through your veins. And, and, and yes, maybe part of that can be applied, you know, and sort of if you're working out and you're really trying for that marathon and you're training, yeah, I mean, so part of it works. But it's not like magic. It's not like wave a magic wand and boom, I got huge, like, that, that's not it. It's that we are able for all kinds of kingdom impact. We are able for overcoming no matter what circumstances we might be facing. We are able, why? Not on our own strength. It's not us. But it's the strength of Jesus pouring into us. And because of this, because of his love, we are much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Because of his presence, we are able for infinitely more than we allow ourselves to dream. And then Paul continues. We're in verse 419 now. He says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. 
God takes care of all our needs. You might want to circle that phrase. God takes care of all our needs. The same God, Paul says, who takes care of me will supply your needs. And then he says that he supplies them from his glorious riches. You know, you can only imagine that God has this infinite storehouse that, that all blessing and all care and all provision God has access to. He supplies all our needs. And then look at this last phrase. And they've actually already been given to us in Christ Jesus. You see, God knows that the thing that we need more than anything else we might think we have 50,000 needs. God knows our need is for Jesus himself. And so all of our needs have been supplied for us in the person of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 20, Paul says, Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. If you're filling in the blanks, the last one is that glorifying God clarifies my perspective. Glorifying God just makes things super clear about the life that we're living and the journey we're on and the things that we're dealing with. Glorifying God clarifies all of this. And God is the one that Paul wants all glory and honor to go to. And he's described that all the way throughout this book. God who made us and God who saves us through his son Jesus and God who loves us. God who heals us, God who provides for us, God who meets our needs, God who invites us into joy always. This God, we are invited to give glory to now as a way of practice so that when we are face to face, we, we can give him glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? And so we're, we're invited. We get a chance to practice now giving him praise and giving him glory and giving him honor now. It's a part of what we can do as our posture of following Jesus now. We get good at it now so that we can forever and ever glorify him in his presence in eternity. Now, I do want you to know that Paul built a legacy that glorified God. That was his legacy. That, easily, that could go on Paul's tombstone. This guy glorified God. And, and, and he was in, it was important to Paul. He was concerned about his legacy, about his reputation. He wanted to make sure that his life was spent in order to glorify God. And so there was no doubt, and there are still 2,000 years later, no doubt that Paul's legacy was built upon a life that glorified God. So let me just ask you rhetorically, what is your legacy that you're building right now? As your family looks at you, as, as your loved ones, your friends around you, as they look at you, how about your coworkers? When they look at your life, do they see this is a guy, this is a gal who has built a legacy of glorifying God? Do, do they see that? That this is priority? That this is something that is it's 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 powerfully priority to you. I just want to challenge us, right? We have an opportunity. Every day of our lives, we're building a legacy. Let's make sure our legacy is one that glorifies God because this will clarify our perspective. What I want to do right now is I want to wrap this whole thing up, not only today's sermon but the whole series. I just want you to recognize, again, that Paul, while he's writing on this, he's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard in this prison cell in Rome Chained to a Roman guard, by the way, the guard probably heard about Jesus every moment of every day, right? Because Paul built this legacy of glorifying God. 
And we've been to this jail cell in Rome. It's in the Roman Forum, and, and Paul was probably awaiting execution. And so there, there's just kind of all this stuff that was going on in Paul's life as he's writing this book to the Philippians. And yet, friends, it is the most joy-filled, the most triumphant letter you will ever read. There is more encouragement to be joyful. There is more challenge to live above, above your circumstance. There's more exhortation to harmony. There's more reflection on the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than anywhere else. And so how is it that Paul can be so authentically joyful throughout his circumstance? It's simply because of Jesus. Jesus, our Savior, who humbled himself, and he left the wonders and the riches of heaven to be born in this earth in poverty, to live a life that was authentically reflecting God's glory, and then to give his life as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Jesus humbled himself even more to be scorned and spit upon, to be stretched out and nailed to that cross, and he did it all so that he himself could provide the sacrifice for our sin and our guilt and our shame. And because of this, Paul says, the Father has elevated Jesus. He's elevated him and given him all authority in heaven and earth and under earth. And Jesus has been placed at the right hand of the Father. And he, we are pointed forward to a day, a future moment, when every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And because of this reality, Paul says, because of the reality of God's goodness and his presence, the reality of grace and salvation, the reality of the authority of Jesus over all things that seem like obstacles, they seem like trials, they seem like burdens, and they are, but Jesus is over them, and in him we can live over all of these things, Paul says, because the fingerprints of God are everywhere. And because the reality is God's power and his presence are available for you today, we can rejoice now and forevermore. And so I want to encourage you. Let's live the life that Paul is challenging the Philippians to live. Let's go back to it again and again. And let's ask the Lord, show us how we might be more joyful Show us how we might overcome more these obstacles, these situations that we, that we face, that, that bring us worry and anxiety. We want to choose to rejoice, and we want to choose to trust you, and we want to choose to live in hope, building a legacy that glorifies the Father. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes, and let's ask him for help right now. Jesus, I want to thank you for the way in which you have loved us so intentionally and specifically. I want to thank you for the way in which you actually love us individually, that the call that you give us is a call to follow you. And it's an individual call. It's a personal call. It's a unique call. I want to thank you for how you love us like that individually. And Jesus, as we go through this text and as we see the challenge that Paul brings and the model that Paul sets, we want to say thank you for it. And then we want to confess that we need your help. We don't always rejoice. And we don't always trust that you'll meet our needs. And, and we don't always give glory to you. And, and so, Jesus, we need your help. We ask that you would move powerfully in us. Remind us that we're never alone, that you are present with us, that your power is available to us, that your Holy Spirit dwells deep in our hearts. We're so thankful for the way 
that you meet us in our need and carry us forward. And we want to live in that hopeful expectancy. We want to step into the full, abundant life you have for us. So we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen.